Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Uh, It is absolutely a blessing to be here, and some of you may know this already, but yesterday was Keith and Kay's 33rd anniversary. And as young as they look, it should be like their 13th anniversary. I don't know how that's even possible. It's great to be with you. It was wonderful to be with the class yesterday. I'm really excited about what God's doing in this place. What a journey these last 20 plus years as Keith and Kay stepped out in faith to plant this ministry. And today you have nearly 40 new church plants and home churches that are part of this multiplying network. And we need Celebrate to win for the kingdom. What you do is so vitally important, and we're grateful for the, the opportunity to be here, to get to see a little bit of it, get a glimpse of it. Some of you got to hang out with yesterday, uh, learning together. We had a lot of fun, and I, I thought it was fun anyway. We had a good time, and learning is always an adventure. So, hey, uh, I want to talk to you this morning about your character, building your character. And I want to lean into it a little differently, that, that our character is not just something that we kind of work on, but that God's working and that we're cooperating with that. We're, we're accepting and receiving his grace. And he puts us in situations sometimes that kind of mess with our heads and we're like, what is going on? But that we can trust God because here's the truth. Our character is not in our faithfulness. Our character is based in his faithfulness. And so I want to talk to you about that this morning. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look a couple of different places. Get out your phone, your app, your device, whatever you're using there. you got your hard copy. And I want you to try to find Lamentations. Now, it's a very small little book. Lamentations has only five chapters. It's tucked neatly between Jeremiah and Ezekiel there in the Old Testament. So uh, you go ahead and look for it. But as you're looking, I want to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 36 because it gives us the backdrop For what we'll study today, you need to understand the context of it, what's going on around him. And here's the dilemma. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, beginning at verse 15, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised God's word. They they scoffed at God's prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and there was no remedy. And he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with a sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or even the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, and he carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials, and they set fire to God's temple. And they broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. Are you getting a sense of what's going on? Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power and the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So when you turn to Lamentations, and maybe you found it by now, when you turn into Lamentations, you're going to find these verses penned by a prophet who has literally had his heart broken. He answered the call of God to be a faithful messenger for God to the people of God, and the people of God rejected him. 
They mocked him. They persecuted him. I mean, it was, he went through some really hard, hard times trying simply to be faithful to God's calling on his life. And finally, in the rebellion, the sin, the desecration, the people themselves as, as they had disobeyed God, finally, God allows judgment to come. And he brings up this king, Nebuchadnezzar, from Babylonia. And, and literally, this beautiful city, the city of David, Zion, Jerusalem, is destroyed. The young people, even the old, the infirm, are killed. Blood runs in the street. The walls are crushed down. The temple is destroyed. Smoke is rising from the ashes. It is total devastation. I mean, it sounds like a plot, you know, to kind of open a movie, right? It's just, it's just a scene of destruction. And here's this guy who tried to warn them, who tried to get them to listen, to repent, to turn back to God. And they didn't do it. They thought they had a better plan. They'd do things their way. And God allows this to come into their lives. And Jeremiah is sitting. Scholars tell us he's probably sitting on the very hill, Golgotha, outside of Jerusalem where Jesus will later be crucified. That as he sits up there in a little, a little cave, a little grotto, as he sits on this hillside looking back over Jerusalem, he can still hear the wailing of the widows. He can, he can still see the, the smoke rising from the ashes. He knows the blood is running the streets. He sees this and his heart is broken because he knows it didn't have to be this way. It did not have to be this way. And we read this book of Lamentations, which Lamentations literally were funeral poems, dirges. They were, uh, some people call it the book of the blues, the, the hymnal of heartbreak. These five chapters of this little book of Lamentations are the poet uh, coming out in Jeremiah that in the midst of this despair, he, he moves to try to process this, to, to lay this before the Lord. So he does, for those of you who like literature and poetry, you'll notice that there's a, a, a construction here. In the first chapter, there's 22 verses. In the second chapter, there are 22 verses. In the fourth chapter, there are 22 verses. And you say, what's the significance of 22 verses? Well, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so literally the poem was built around this idea of an acrostic where the first word of each verse starts with the letter like A, B, C, D and on down through the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet. He does that three times, chapter one, chapter two, chapter four. But when he comes to chapter three, which is really the pinnacle of this book, there's 66 verses. I mean, his heartbreak, the despair, this grieving is so intense that it's tripled up. He does three words that start, three verses that start with that first letter, three verses that start with that second letter, and on down through for 66 verses. And then if you continue to read through, you get to chapter 5, you'll find he just absolutely loses it. Like it, sometimes in grief, it's, it's good to have a process, and you're trying to work the process, and you're trying to you know, kind of keep some order and some structure in life, but sometimes grief or the despair can just be overwhelming, and you completely lose it, and that's exactly what happens. He just loses it. And chapter 5 has no form, no structure. It's just the cry of this prophet whose heart is broken. But in the middle of this despair, in the middle of this destruction, in the darkness of this night, there is this amazing bright light that pierces the darkness. And if you've got your Bibles open, you're looking on your app, look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 records these words of the prophet. Let me begin, if I may, at verse 19. The prophet says, I, I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. Well, I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Man, he's remembering 
how things could have been, how things should have been, and yet he sees this destruction in his heart, he says, my soul is downcast within me. But verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. In the middle of the darkness, there is this ray of hope. There's this promise of God that God will not forsake his people forever. While he allows judgment to come, while there is this time when they're, just, they're, they're removed from the land, God will continue to be true to his word. There, there's a verse that some of you may have heard. Maybe you've seen it on a plaque somewhere. It's from Jeremiah chapter 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Some of you have read that, and sometimes people read that and like, great, let it happen like right now, <laughs> instantaneously. I want that hope, that future today. But that's not how it works. In fact, that verse, if you go on in chapter 29, you read that it's going to be 70 more years. 70 more years before the people of God are restored to the land of promise. But there's hope. There's hope. And did you notice what he said? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. What, what do you mean we're not consumed? Looks like everybody's dead. Looks like the destruction is total. Like, what do you mean we're not consumed? Do you remember as I was reading through those verses in 2 Chronicles? It says that Nebuchadnezzar took a remnant out of the land and relocated them. Took them basically as hostages. Relocates them down in Babylon. Now what What's true about that is these people, these young people, were the prime young leaders in the land, the most talented, the wisest, the most handsome people in the land. He captures them and takes them away and holds them there in Babylon. If you've read your Bible or maybe even watched Veggie Tales, uh, you may remember the name of a guy named Daniel. Daniel in the lions. Oh, you do. Daniel in the lions den, right? That dude, Daniel, is part of this remnant. The prophecies of Daniel, the influence of his life and that kingdom would never have happened if that Nebuchadnezzar, that wicked king, had not been allowed to take that remnant and seed them, plant them in Babylon with God's future intention that they would be restored, that they would be the ones who'd come back and replenish the land. And Jeremiah doesn't know all that. He doesn't know how it's all going to turn out. He doesn't know Daniel by name. He doesn't know all of this way that the story will unfold. But he trusts that God who has promised will be faithful. And so looking back, looking back, he can see that God has been a God who's always kept his promises before. So why should he fail us now? Why should we doubt him now? When I was younger, uh, I grew up around the church. My dad was a pastor, and we used to sing a little song. It said, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, name them. Well, there was a little line in that song that said, count your many blessings, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I used to think, why, why would it surprise me? Like, I'm the one it happened to. Like, I was there, right? Why would I be surprised by the blessings? But here's the reality, and Tim talked about it as we were getting ready for communion. We forget we forget, we forget the goodness of God so easily in our lives. We take things for granted. Now, we remember the pain, just like Jeremiah says, I remember my wanderings, I remember the bitterness. We can do that. I mean, some of us can remember our most embarrassing moments, right? Like even in high school, that girl you asked out on the 
prom and she said no, no. Or, or the team you went out for and you got cut. Or whatever else happened, the swirly, or whatever they did in your school. I don't know what all happened. But there's some bad experiences and most of us can remember them, right, really easily. The discipline that, that will help us in building our character comes when we stop and make a conscious decision to look back and see how good God has been in the past. He's brought us from a mighty long way. He's brought us this far, and he's not going to fail us now. He is a faithful, faithful God. And in building your character, one of the things that you can do is just stop. Take some time, maybe even a day. Just sit down. Maybe find a quiet place, a piece of paper, a pen. Just begin to write down what are some of the blessings of God in your life? How has God watched over you? How has he spared you? That illness, that car accident, that crisis, that relationship, the ways that God in the past has shown himself faithful and true. So Jeremiah does that. He, he, he says, I'm going to remember the goodness of God in the past because right now in the middle of my mess, man, I'm tempted to despair. But I hope, my hope, my hope, character, hope is based in God's character. My character is based in his character. And he's a faithful God. So he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Now, there's a wonderful word in there. That great love in Hebrew is actually one word, which means two things. Great love, or faithful love, or never-ending love. And the way you'd say that in Hebrew, <clears throat> I have to clear my throat a little bit, it goes like this. Chased. You want to try that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Chased. Don't aim yourself at anybody when you do that, right? Be very careful. But yeah, that word means love that never fails. It never ends. It's this loyal, undying love. It's not fickle. It's not fandom. It's loyal. Loyal to the death. It reminds me a little bit of my favorite characters there in The Lord of the Rings. Samwise and Frodo. That's the kind of love you see in Samwise as he just will never forsake his little buddy like he's going to go with him. If we die, we die together, but I will never turn away from you. That's just a picture of the kind of love that God has for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's a faithful God, and as you look back on your life, you will see his fingerprints everywhere. And so we come to today. What about today? I remember his goodness in the past, but today... I have a conscious opportunity, a decision to make. It says his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. When I thought about that thing about every morning, every morning, every morning, every morning, I thought about the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, give us this day. Oh, you're good. Pastor Keith, you've taught them really, really well. I'm impressed. They give us this day our daily bread. And, and you know where that idea actually comes from. You go way back to the, the Exodus as they're moving from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. There is no StubHub, right? Or there is no um, DoorDash. There, there's nobody going to deliver. Jimmy John's isn't going to come. You're out there in the wilderness. What you going to do? And they didn't have time to plant. There's no way to raise crops. What are they going to do? They looked to God. They called on God to be their source. And what did God provide? Well, he provided something that they couldn't quite explain. <laughs> they said, we, we've never seen anything like this before. Uh, and literally the word manna means, what is it? I don't know. What is it? Well, it's, that's what we'll call it. What is it? <laughs> hey, would you like some more? What is it? I'd like some more. What is it? Bring it on. You know, let's have some more manna burgers. Whatever it takes. Let's do this thing. It's going to be great. And every day God provided for them fresh bread, fresh sustenance, 
a fresh supply. But they had to do something. They had to get out of bed, get out of, get out of the tent, and go out and begin to collect it. It gathered like the dew in the morning, and they would collect it, they'd bring it in, and it would sustain them all day long. Now, some smart guy thought, well, I'm going to get a bunch of it so I can sleep in tomorrow. But he found out when you wake up the next day, it had rotted. It, it, it would spoil. You couldn't do that. Every day you had to get up. That is except for one day. And the day before the Sabbath, you could gather twice as much, and it would last through the Sabbath day so that you could rest from your labors on the Sabbath day. And then the next day you get to do it all over again. And I thought about that when I think about our life with God, how you develop character. One of the ways we do that is by being consistent in the word of God. Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. It's the word of God that sustains us. And I don't know what your practice is, but I, I hope it's something like this, something I've been developing, something I want to be true of my life and want to pass on to kids and now grandkids. I, I want to pass on this idea that the first words I read every day, I want to be words that are true. I want to be words that last. I want them to be words that bring hope. And there's only one consistent, reliable source for that, and it's the Word of God. So I, I, I don't know how you do it. What I recommend, what I, I work on is a little app on my phone called YouVersion, and I have a little reading plan, Bible in one year, and literally I just pop the button, hit this, hit that, and up comes the scripture reading for that day. And I read my way through, and every day I read along, and about 10 to 15 minutes you can read the passages, and at the end of the year, if you just stay consistent with that, every year you get to read through the Bible. And for years, I'd wanted to do that and struggled to do that and couldn't do it. Even though as a preacher, I was, I'd get halfway, I'd get stuck somewhere in the genealogies or in the Old Testament, and I'd just get lost. But that's been such a help for me over the last several years to just be able to be consistent every day. And how I start my day, how you start your day matters. It sets a trajectory for the rest of our day. It's a choice of character to say, I'm going to put God's word in my heart. Psalmist David said it in Psalm 119. He was asked, how can a young man keep his way pure? There's a conversation, right? How can young people stay pure in a world like we live? And what did David say? I have hidden your word in my heart, O oh God, that I might not sin against you. You want to build your character? Start by infusing your life, saturating your soul with the words of God that matters. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never, never fail. And in a world where everything else seems so uncertain, so unreliable, don't you want to have an anchor, a rock, something that's consistent? Because your character is built on his character, and it's revealed to us through the word, and it saturates our soul and makes us more like Jesus. So in the present, the encouragement is this. Dig it up every day. Go after it. Say, Lord, I want to experience new mercy. I want manna this morning. Speak to my heart, God. I need a word from you. Before I turn on my favorite news channel, before I look at my social media or my apps, I've got to say, oh God, oh God, eternal God, my hope is in you. You're my confidence. You're my rock. And I look to you today. Please, Holy Spirit, speak to me from the word. So that's in the past. We remember how good God's been, his faithfulness. We remember that in the present we, we rediscover his truth, we open it up, we dig it in, and then I gotta tell you, from the point that Jeremiah is sitting there and he's looking into the future, and he says, I don't know how it's all gonna work out. I have no control over that, but I do know this. He says, I say to myself, verse 24, the Lord is my portion, 
Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. He said, I cannot tell you exactly how it's all going to work out. I don't know about this Daniel dude. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what it's going to look like in 70 years. But I do know this. I serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus Christ never changes. So I can build my life on that kind of foundation. He says, I will wait on the Lord. The Lord is my portion. He's my, literally, my inheritance. I I don't know, maybe some of you are going to leave your kids lots and lots of money, and that's a great thing, not a problem with that. But uh, my dad's 86 years old. And a couple of weeks ago, I got to be with him in Canada. He's not in great health right now, and there's some medical uncertainties, and so... We had some of those serious conversations that some of you have had to have, right? And he had some plans for the funeral. Uh, the good news is I don't have to preach. I've got a brother who's a better preacher than I am, so I said, that's great. I'll do the MC stuff. So Joel's going to preach. But he, uh, he began to walk down through some of the financial considerations and things. And I looked at it and said, man, and I didn't say this to him. I just thought to myself, wow, 86 years old and there's not a whole lot in that bank account. Don't, doesn't have a big house, doesn't have a fancy car. I said, wow, that's it. And again, I didn't say that to him. I, I didn't mean it to be disparaging. I just thought, wow, after 86 years, that's it. And then I thought about his life. He was a messed up teenager. I mean, he was running with the wrong crowd. He'd made some bad decisions, been kicked out of school, had been stealing from his boss. He was one or two decisions away from being in prison. God got a hold of his life because somebody who went to a life-giving church like you attend just reached out to this messed up kid across the yard and said, hey, can we talk? Can we spend time together? And began to share with him what it means to follow Jesus, that God can forgive your life, that God can change your heart. He can forgive your sins. He can make you a brand new person. And my dad, as a teenager, gave his life to Christ, went on to college, met my wife, my, my, my wife, my mother, <laughs> met my mother, uh, they married, uh, he went out to pastor a little country church, and a year later, I mean l- almost a year later, I was born, and they served the Lord together. My mom passed away about five years ago. My dad was honored just two weeks ago by the Wesleyan Church in Canada for 62 years of faithful ministry to Jesus Christ. And I was embarrassed that I'd thought You don't have much to show for 86 years. Because I wasn't keeping score right in that moment. And I saw the faithfulness of God. And I saw the influence of his life. I I followed Jesus today because he followed Jesus. My my brother follows Jesus, uh, has pastored wonderful churches and is going now, moving to Manhattan to be a missionary in the Upper East Side. My my sister and her husband pastor a fast-growing Wesleyan Church in Michigan. My other sister is a Christian school teacher in Georgia. Their families love Jesus. And that influence... That legacy came from a man who as a teenager said, I'm going to put my trust in God. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I know what my past was messed up, but I don't know. I just know this. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to put my hope. My character is going to be built on God and his truth and his, his hope. And he's followed Jesus all these years, and he has such a beautiful testimony of the goodness of God. I don't know. Sometimes we make decisions and we find ourselves in a mess and we have to say it's all my fault. We just have to own it, right? Like, I made really bad choices and here I am. 
If you've ever been there, you can relate to a guy named James Cash Penny. James Cash Penny, J.C. Penny. James Cash sounds like a Twitter handle. I don't know. James, James Cash Penny. I'm going to bring it. I'm going to do some spit. No, I don't know. I'll just try. Uh, so James Cash Penny was a businessman. Before the Great Depression, he had these uh, chain of dry goods stores called the Golden Rule stores. And he'd done pretty well, but he was a hard driver, living, living fast. And when the Great Depression came, he had basically alienated his family. He began to lose his business, and even his associates had turned against him. He, he writes this. He said, I was at the end of my rope. My business had crumbled. My communication with colleagues had faltered. Even my wife and my children were estranged from me, and it was all my fault. He even contemplated suicide. And maybe you're here today, and you find yourself in a mess, and you have to be honest. You look in the mirror and say, it's nobody else's fault. I made these decisions. I made these choices. A friend cared enough about J.C. to, to get him to go down to a, a treatment center in Battle Creek. And while he was there in Battle Creek, Michigan, early one morning, he, he's up, he's walking the halls, and he hears some music, and he begins to follow that sound. He goes down and finds a chapel, and the, some of the doctors and nurses have gathered for a little chapel service. They're having prayer. They're, they're singing this song. The song is one he heard, he thought, as a boy, a song that said, Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. All that you need he will provide. God will take care of you. J.C. Penney said in that moment, I just felt God doing something, stirring something. Here's, here's what he wrote. He said, at that time, something happened to me which I cannot explain. It was a life-changing miracle, and I've been a different person ever since. God restored his family, restored his health, restored his business. And for the course of his lifetime, at least, J.C. Penney was an established prospering business and from the proceeds of that business he blessed literally hundreds of Christian charities and missions around the world he'd made the choices he owned it he said it's my fault I'm in this mess but he looked at God and there was hope and there was restoration and there was freedom and there was a future so, so even if you've made those choices even if you're there today because of the choices you've made I've got good news for you God is a God of second chances He's a God of second chances, and he's here today, and he wants to restore and give you hope and give you a future. That's absolutely true. You can, you can count on that. But maybe you didn't make choices. You're like, look, I did not ask for this. I did not get myself into it. I find myself in it. I'm living in a situation that feels completely out of my control. I mean, like, who scheduled COVID? Nobody, right? It just kind of visited. It showed up. Nobody asked for it. And there are situations in our life, maybe it's a diagnosis from a doctor or a conversation with a spouse or, or something that happened at work, and you're like, I didn't make that happen, but I'm living with the reality of it right now, and it overwhelms me. I find myself like Jeremiah sitting on a hillside saying, God, God, where are you? He's here. That's where he is. He's here for you and in this moment. I think about a guy named Thomas Chisholm. He, he was a school teacher and, and came, to, came to know Christ in his 20s as uh, he heard someone sharing the gospel, gave his life to Christ, began to grow in his faith. And like some folks in this church, he heard God calling him to ministry, so he studied. I mean, he put in the time, he put in the work, he prepared himself, and then he's ordained. They said, like, great, you have hands on, go do it. Now you can go pastor a church. And in his very first year pastoring that little church in Scottsville, Kentucky, his health fell apart. And they said, the doctor said, you can never pastor again. Your body cannot handle the stress of that. You've got to find something else to do. 
He's like, God, I don't get it. I, I thought I was obeying you. I thought I was doing everything you asked me to do. And, and now my opportunity to influence the world, to make an impact for you, it's gone. I, I don't get it. And he moved to a little town in Indiana and there began to sell insurance and still had this burning passion to somehow I've got to share the good news of Jesus. And he decided he could write poetry. Rather than writing sermons, he'd write poems. And over the next several years, he wrote 1,300 poems of faith and inspiration, little booklets that got shared. And, and one of those poems, one of those poems was drawn from this very passage that we looked at this morning. Lamentations chapter 3, he saw those words, they grabbed his heart, great is your faithfulness, O God, great is your faithfulness. And he penned a little poem, he didn't know if it would ever go anywhere, but someone got it, took it to Moody Bible College, and there a music professor put the tunes to those lyrics. It bounced around over the next several years, and finally it made its way to a guy named George Beverly Shea. And George Beverly Shea was the, the lead singer for the Billy Graham Crusades. And he heard that song, and in 1954, he introduced it in the London Crusade. And that poem by a preacher who thought no one would ever know his name. No one would ever hear his story. No one would ever receive the message that he was trying to preach. That song has been sung by millions of people around the world. Just to put a little icing on the cake, we're going to sing it this morning. <laughs> I want you to stand up with me. I think the words will be on the screen because this is the testimony of a man who found himself in a mess, something he hadn't asked for, a situation he hadn't bargained on, but he looked to God and said, I'm going to trust you, Lord. You're faithful. I'm going to give my life fully to you. And whatever I can do to spread the word, I'm going to be involved in doing just that. So these words taken directly from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. Would you try to, try to sing them with me this morning? Great is thy faithfulness, O God. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have needs not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been Thou forever will be. He never changes. He's a faithful God. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, the mercies I see. All I have needed, thy. I just wonder. <laughs> I just wonder if Thomas Chisholm singing along with us. He's like, wow, God, you took my mess and made a miracle. You took what I thought was a failure or the, or the end of the story. And Lord, you wrote a whole new chapter. And some of you here today, you need God to do that for you. You need him to forgive your sin. You need him to change your heart. You need him to restore your hope. And I just want you to reach out to him in, in this moment as you sing it. Claim it by faith 
and believe he'll be that kind of God for you as you lean into him. Let's sing that last verse. Pardon for sin and a peace. Oh, we need that, don't we? Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. I need your guidance, Lord. And strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand Beside, if that's your prayer, would you just lift your hand? Let's do it. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy Thank the Lord for his faithfulness. Praise God. He's an amazing God. He's an amazing God. You may be here for the first time today, and I just want to tell you, you found a place of grace. This is a place with hope and life. And if you need to make a decision for Christ, or maybe you've even made that in this moment, please don't leave without talking to someone. Find one of the ushers. Talk to one of the staff members. They want to help you get established in that faith journey. God has great plans for you. And if you're a believer, maybe you walked in today a little bit discouraged. Maybe you're just feeling the weight of life. It's just been pressing you down. My prayer is that God's hope has renewed you today because you're going to leave this place and go to the mission field your home, your neighborhood, your workplace. People need to know that you serve a faithful God. And they ask you, why do you have such hope? Please, please, please point them to Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's our faithful God. Amen. So would you receive this benediction from Romans chapter 15, verse 13, as you're sent. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow by hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go make a difference out there. God bless you. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.